The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the President of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Back from an excellent Thanksgiving break, I am Jason Barrett, and this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Appreciate you making time to take a listen. If I could bug you to subscribe to the BSM YouTube channel or our iTunes or Spotify page to stay updated on future episodes, that would be fantastic. Today, I'm reconnecting with an old friend and former colleague. Damon Bruce has been a fixture in San Francisco sports radio for well over 15 years. He currently occupies Afternoon Drive alongside Ray Ratto on 95.7 The Game, my former radio station. We've kept in touch over the years and we're texting a few weeks ago, just catching up. And I told him we should do a future episode. We've never done that. So that's the plan for today. If you've listened to Damon or if you've worked with him, you know he's candid. It's why we worked well together, even though there were times I wanted to strangle him and I'm sure he wanted to do the same to me. But I would rather work with someone who's self-motivated and super competitive than partner with someone who's just along for the ride. And that absolutely describes Damon Bruce. So we'll do that coming up in just a few minutes. Before we get into that, though, I've got a few things I want to say, and we'll unpack it in the latest installment of what I've seen or heard. Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now? First, what I saw wasn't what I wanted to see on Sunday. I logged on to Facebook, and I saw a message from Jerry Valancourt's daughter, which confirmed the passing of her father. Jerry V. was a staple on Charlotte Radio, a former analyst for the Hornets, and I first started listening to him in the mid-1990s before internet radio even existed. I was working for a small station, WTBQ in Florida, New York, and the station operated on 1110 AM. That was the same frequency as WBT in Charlotte. Now, WTBQ back then had to power down when the sun set, which meant that WBT with its big signal would come into the Hudson Valley area of New York and occupy my station's airwaves at night. That's where I started listening to Jerry V. He had this gift of gab, was very likable, was a New York City native, so that's probably why I connected with him. And his use of creative drops inside of his talk show immediately got my attention. He used to do this thing, and I'm probably going to mess it up because it's been nearly 30 years since I heard it, but he would take a call, and if someone wasn't jiving with him, he would tell his producer on the air to throw him in the pool, and that would be followed up by this big splash sound effect, which was very entertaining. Uh, When I launched BSM, Jerry started reading, following, commenting. He was always complimentary of the work we did. And so I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge his passing and offer my condolences to his family, his friends, and those who knew or listened to him. 
The second part of this monologue I want to dedicate to something that came up after I taped my conversation with Damon Bruce. It's something that can have a big effect on brands, advertising, and media professionals. By now, you've likely seen the news about Elon Musk wanting to change Twitter and put in place policies that not everyone is on board with. Case in point, mandating that employees return to the workplace. The old regime promised their people that they could work from home forever. Musk obviously has a different view on how the company should be operated. So you're asking yourself, what does that have to do with me or my brand? Well, if less people commute because they can work from home, that affects how much listening gets done to your radio station or show. Twitter may be only one company, but coming out of the pandemic, a lot of groups have embraced letting their employees work remotely. If people don't travel as much, they're going to listen less because the reality is that they have no choice but to use the radio when they're trapped in the car. But when they're home, TV becomes an option. More sleep becomes possible. Everyday life distractions increase. And though it also means more listening to your station or show, either through your app, website, consuming content through podcast channels or third-party vendors, if the main driver of your revenue right now is radio, then how exactly do you make up for it? You could say, well, the individual listening is still there, except now they're streaming or listening on demand, and that's true. But if you're charging less for digital than you are for radio ads, how do you make up that lost revenue? Additionally, what do you tell a programmer or a host about the importance of radio ratings if they're doing all the right things, but now all of a sudden they're being heard by 20 to 30% less of an audience? That can also have a big impact on what shows up from a measurement standpoint. Put yourself in Nielsen's shoes. Finding people to carry meters was already difficult, but now it's an even bigger headache, and that can then lead to questionable results. The U.S. Census showed in October that commute times in the Bay Area have shortened the most in the country since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Boston, Washington, D.C., and Baltimore were three other cities also greatly impacted. Across the country, the number of people working from home has tripled from 9 million to 27.5 million between 2019 and 2021. That's a rise from 5% to almost 18%. It's a good reminder of why it's so vital to have a strong digital focus and strategy and to sell the power of a brand and its talent rather than just relying on radio ratings. You could set marks, though, for people and challenge them to hit them, but when seven minutes a day of commute time goes away, that's the loss of one rated quarter hour. Take five of those away each week, and you're going to find some pretty pissed off and frustrated hosts, programmers, and company executives, and more importantly, advertisers who are less interested in paying you your prior rate. Well done, sir. I always appreciate feedback to the What I've Seen or Heard segment. If you've got anything you want to share, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com by email, or you can DM me on any of the social channels. I'm always curious how people in the buildings are dealing with the sudden change in commute patterns over the last two years. So by all means, hit me up. In the meantime, I want to set up this week's conversation. It takes place with Damon Bruce, who occupies Afternoon Drive 
at 95.7 The Game in San Francisco. We obviously spent some time going through some of the experiences we've had in that market. For those who have followed my career know I spent time there, and so I did work with Damon and enjoyed the time that we spent together, but also wanted to get into the beginning part of his journey because this is a guy who went to Indiana, who got a start behind the scenes at KBR, then went back to Indiana, worked in Columbus, Ohio, worked for the ESPN radio network. And so I was curious how those experiences shaped him and led him to where he is now. So without further delay, I'm going to let him tell you himself. Yo, listen! So this gentleman I've known for quite some time, a lot of similarities. You Schenectady guy, I worked in Albany, lived in Waterville. We obviously crossed paths at the Bay Area, both worked at ESPN Radio. I'm going to get into plenty of the Bay Area stuff because that's where you're now and where you've really built a name for yourself in the business. But I want to go back to the beginning when you started listening to sports radio, watching sports on television, reading. Who were some of the people you paid attention to that influenced you to say, you know what, that that's, looks like a career I'd like to pursue? So, Jason, I, I got to tell you, I was listening to radio when sports talk radio was invented. I mean, you know, when I'm 13 years old, it doesn't exist. When I'm 14 years old, it does. And it would come up from WFAN out of New York City. And, and you know, that's kind of where the mecca of it all sort of started. And so I basically, during my, my morning paper route, I wanted to be like a morning show radio guy. I learned very on early in life that people did not like speaking in public. Well, I, I didn't have any qualms about doing that. So I thought, you know, maybe I actually have an advantage over a workforce here or something. So I decided it was officially time to think about radio. And then radio, like, came right to my wheelhouse. I didn't want to be a a shock jock or a Howard Stern goofy morning zoo guy or anything. But man, as soon as sports in the radio and just talking sports became like an actual thing, I'm like, that's what I want to do. There's no doubt in my mind. I would like to do that. How the hell am I going to go about doing that? I don't even know, but I'm going to try. And, uh, you know, when I ended up in Indiana, I spent more time at the student radio station than I ever spent in the library or studying for a test or anything like that. So it just all kind of happened while I was thinking about what I want to do. Now, I'm also the same guy who was around as they were inventing the Internet, looked at it and thought, nah, nothing there. So, you know, my, <laughs> my decisions aren't always very good, but this one is officially, you know, paid off. And, you know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking that we were going to talk today. I'm one of your hires. Like, I'm your yeah. fault. Uh, you changed my life. You absolutely did. You found me and put me in afternoon drive and changed the arc of my career. I'm forever indebted to you for that. I'm forever grateful. Have you hired anyone? Was, were, were any of your <laughs> hires still there like nine and a half years after the fact? Uh, am I am I your greatest yeah, I, success You know what story, it is? is I question. have one in each city. Right. Like, so Randy character, I hired to start 101 ESPN. He's still there. The whole okay. station's changed. You're at the game. Whole station's changed. I put guru on, but he was doing weekends. It wasn't necessarily uh, doing afternoon driving in the same slot. So you're right. I mean, that, you know, if you do this long enough, you're eventually going to get something right. So the longer you continue to succeed, they'll, you know, I'll get, get a little bit of credit. You mentioned Indiana. Like, so you talked about. That was where you spent time in the radio building. 
How does that prepare you? Because your first job, if I remember right, was KBR behind the scenes, right? Yeah, I was a, you know, a weekend board op, uh, you know, they'd, they'd hire me to run Stanford games on 1050 or Raiders games. And I was very much on the bottom rung of any radio stations ladder. And then, you know, you just, you stick around and attrition starts happening. Right. Yep. And I'd also like to think, you know, maybe I, I developed a little talent along the way. I just became you know, more comfortable behind a microphone, just constantly using their studios to record, not shows for anyone. I mean, there were no podcasts. No one was putting anything on YouTube or the internet or anything like that. I would do shows for an audience of one, me, just to get comfortable. And uh, eventually it happened enough to where I was at KNBR working behind the scenes, had an interview at ESPN with a guy named Bill Rodman, who brought me back to Bristol, Connecticut. I worked at ESPN. I was doing like weekend and overnight sports center updates on ESPN radio. And then finally the sports phone position opened up and I, you know, called KNBR because I knew the people involved. And I said, look, I'm, I'm actually going to be out there for a wedding, Jen Violet's wedding. <laughs> and, um, and, and so I, I said, while I'm out there, can I audition? Cause I know you're looking for a new nighttime host and they let me, I didn't even think the audition went well because the Niners got clobbered by the Eagles that weekend. And I just destroyed them. Like, I remember the last thing telling that night's board op, like I pushed a talk back button. I'm like, well, it was really nice meeting you. There's no way they're going to hire me after that. I just burnt the whole damn station down. And then, you know, a week later they call me and they're like, you got the job. You know, we want someone who says something. So you got the job. And I got in my car and drove out here and showed up in San Francisco with, uh, you know, a, a city that I'd spent a little time in. Got here in my Suzuki Grand Vitara at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and the rest is history. I've been on air one way or another by hook or crook in San Francisco since 2005, October 24th, 2005, to be specific about it. You know, what's interesting, when I was reading up, I know a lot about you, obviously, but the early days, we didn't work together. So I'm reading and I'm looking at some of these stations you worked at before you got your on-air break at KMBR. And I'm looking at WoWo, which just won a Marconi in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I'm looking at the fan in Columbus going, you know, listen, that's one of the hidden gems of mid-market stations now. I mean, it's been a juggernaut for a long time. And I'm reading and I go, he worked with Kirk Herbstreet on a radio show. And I'm trying to picture the two of you guys and your styles. And I'm going, I wonder what the hell that was like. What, what were those days like? Before we even get to Kirk at, at, in Columbus, one of the pivot points of my career, and it was going to be a you're leaving radio to do something because all your friends have graduated and they're making money in their real careers, or you're going to stick with this path, which has essentially been you know, unrewarding in every way possible other than you want to do it. You know, you yep. really like what you do. You're just not being rewarded for it. When I was at WoWo, the program director there, his name was John Zimney. And he was such an inspiration to me. Like he told me, he's like, dude, you can do this. Like you can absolutely do this. You're a sports guy and you're here at a news talk station. And I was filling in during the week that Katrina hit new orleans and so man did i get like the juiciest topic to to sink my teeth into and talk about 
And that felt really, really good. And he gave me so much positive feedback. And that is a great little station, man. It really is something else. I get to Columbus, Ohio, as I pivot back to sports. And I don't think Kirk Herbstreet liked me very much. I don't think he <laughs> liked me. He didn't like the hire. I was there for like eight weeks and I got blown out. And I'm like, shit, what the, what the hell just happened? Like, I thought things were going well. I really did. But, um, yeah, no, I, you know, to this day, I still haven't talked to Kirk Herbstreet. Every single person at that station who I had gotten to know in a very short amount of time, like everyone called for a goodbye or they didn't understand it or you got screwed. I've never heard from, from Kurt. So he's, <laughs> you know, he's obviously doing well. He yeah, didn't he, me after he's done all. okay. You've done okay. Sometimes just the wrong partnerships don't work yeah, out. Yeah, it didn't right? work. You know what happened? There was a, a big coaching change and he was, you know, always on the road doing game day. And I was like, dude, you know, I like I called him and I left him a cell phone message saying Tyrone Williams got fired by Notre Dame today. Do you think you're like it wouldn't have hurt you to call into the show? Right. I know you're busy, but to have you react to that on the show that bears both of our names, like I would appreciate that. And I think that that phone call pissed him off to the point where Kirk Herbstreit was like, get rid of him. And they did. So. <laughs> It's great to get fired in Columbus, Ohio, and then resurface in San Francisco so you could let everyone back in Columbus know, like, you, you guys, you didn't do that right. right. You know, you, if, 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 if I wasn't good enough for you, how can I be good enough for here? So, Well, let's talk uh, about getting back to the Bay Area because you started out 680 when they put you on the air regularly. You were on the nighttime, right? Yeah, sports and then, and then eventually from there, you have to go over to 1050 to get into the daytime. When they came to you and said, Damien, we want you to move from 680 to get into the daytime slot, but it's going to be on 1050. There's a pro and a con. You look at the pro and you go, well, look, I'm on during the day versus at night. I'm not going to get preempted by games. At the same time, the con is, okay, not as strong of a signal. And yeah, the brand's built around me, but there's a lot of things around me that aren't as strong. Did you have to be convinced to make that change? And in, in just the desire to be honest about what happened, I didn't really have a choice. You know, they told me <laughs> what was happening. And I think the reason they moved me is because the Giants absolutely stunk at the time. And I would come on every night after a Giants game and saying, this team stinks. And I think the Giants had, you know, a lot to do with me being pulled off a sports phone. I started to understand about how politics behind the scenes started to matter. But I didn't get down because... Hey, you're going to pay me the same amount of money to get more run. And literally, I knew that if I could go to KNBR 1050, not that I wasn't doing anything I wanted to on 680, but going to 1050, like literally I can now do anything I want. Like no one is listening. No one cares. So I looked at it as just, you know, there's a lot of fertile field here for me to till and I can just do sort of whatever I want. And I... Like, I didn't care. Like, I've always, I've said, I might have even said this to you. Like, the show is a selfish act. I'm just going to go do it the way I want to do it. So whether the audience grew or the signal strength grew or the support staff grew or shrunk, like, it, it didn't really matter to me. It was all about me and a microphone. And there's just one of me and one of those. And if I got that, I can make something happen. So it, it I'm sure, was positioned like a demotion and it felt like a demotion at times. And then I just started thinking about it. I'm like, dude, you're on the air. You're on the air. You, you get off at work at four o'clock in the afternoon now and you can go out and 
carouse in San Francisco. And so I, I, I had myself a, a really good time. I had a great life balance at the time. And I think it could have worked the other way for me, mm-hmm. but I didn't let it, you know, I just, I didn't let it happen. I, I was doing what I wanted to do. So where it was happening, like I didn't even really care. I was doing what I wanted to do. You know, I always tell people careers are like books. you got different chapters. Sometimes you have to take a, a sideways turn to ultimately get to where you want to get. The benefit of being on during the day, you're going to cross paths with a lot of people in those hallways that may not see you at night. So now they see you grinding. They hear you because they're more likely to pay attention because they're not home at seven o'clock at night. And sometimes, you know, you're in the right place, right time. And that's what happens in 2011, because here you are, you're now the afternoon host at the game. And at that time, the game is launching. And I would have loved to have been in your building at the time because everyone's freaking out that there's a news station and we hadn't even showed up yet, but it benefits you. Let me tell you, as, as a guy who was there, no one was freaking out. Hold on, no, hold on, no, 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 no I can't one let you gave do that. I can't. Here's why. That there was going to be a new station in town. No, seriously, man, like I'm, they shouldn't like, have. It, but you went on with Radnich the day we launched. I'm like, everyone knows you're not going to work with Gary. Like the two of you do different style shows, and you're built to do a solo show at the time, and you're showing that you've got a long term future here. And so when they did that, I'm like, we haven't even gotten a point yet. We got a long way to go before this thing becomes good. And and we're getting people bitching about our campaign promos and a lot of noise, right? But like you go in your first week in 2011, it's August 1st when we launched at the time, and you go on with Gary. What was that first week like? I was trying to do the best I could to work with someone who is – a unique presence to say the least. Like, I mean, is that the right way to describe what Gary Radnich oh, was out here? Unique presence. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, a little oil and water, I guess it didn't mix. And, uh, and, and, you know, I was told the entire time because Gary was, you know, approaching the end of his career and, you know, I'm still a really young guy. So yeah. like I was told by the acting program director, this guy named Bill Bungaroff, who let's face it, was an absolute disaster as a programmer. Yeah, he blew up KGO too at that time. Yeah, yeah, and 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 he, uh, you know, he basically told me he's like, you go in there and you do what you need to do because if this doesn't work out, you're the young guy. I'm not getting rid of you. And then that was all total bullshit. Yep. <laughs> and so now I'm off of 680 and I'm back on 1050. That's when I got angry. That's when I thought to myself, well, there is another station in town now. And I reached out to you, and I think. Our first conversation, I might have rubbed you the wrong way. You and I, like, I hadn't even got to the Bay Area yet. I re- I still remember they brought me to the Bay Area for, for a visit, and I'm in a hotel. And you and I had a call. And I'm looking. I'm like, Schenectady. I was in Albany. ESPN. I was in ESPN. We need younger talent. He's in the wheelhouse. Like, I'm already telling people in the building, I'm hiring Damon Bruce. It's just a matter of what slot, what time, and when. Do you remember your first call with me? Well, I do. The mistake was I was honest with you. And I told you, I said, no matter what you do, as long as you're the flagship of the Oakland days, you're dead on arrival. And you didn't like that, to hear that. that you were coming... were, no, but that one you were dead on on. Yeah, no, that's and 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 I thought I don't remember any other part of the conversation. No, that see, I that's was... that's the part that I wasn't turned off by the A's. I like honesty, and you know me now well enough. Like, and we wound up working together for a while, and you you learn like 
hey, I like your candor. I think you appreciated mine, and that's why we had a good relationship. No, at that time, I just thought your headspace wasn't where it is now. I thought at that time your pitch to me was, get everything out of here. I'm going to be the biggest thing in the world, and uh, you need to just leave me the F alone. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to build a culture of a lot of people in here, and we can't do it that way. I got to get everybody through the door. And I do think I'm going to wind up calling this guy at some point. It's just not going to be on day one. And so I know you weren't thrilled at that time, but two years later, we did put one on the books. And now look, now you've been there almost a decade. So timing is everything with these things. What was interesting when we were asking, uh, talking about the uh, the 2011 when, when the game came and KBR, I don't think any of the talent or the PDs were paying any attention to the game, but you brought up Bungaroth, and when he made the change with you and Gary, and we were getting calls of people on the sales side getting really freaked out about how, how aggressive we were. Well, it's funny. I don't think I've ever even told you this. The second day you were on the air with Radnich, Gary called and said, I need a meeting immediately. And uh, Dwight... Walker is my GM at the time. He goes, we got to take this meeting with Gary Radnich. And I go, Dwight, I'm running promos that said it's a great day. They collected their first social security check. You want me to go and hire a guy that literally fits the description of what I'm attacking? And here's the thing, like, even though I, I think it's always good you make relationships, but I had no intent on doing business at that time with Gary. You could just tell. He had already checked out of the show. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, well, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but either way, it's good. Like either Damon's going to be doing solo, Gary's going to be doing solo, but we need something to change for this thing to have a shot. I knew that you guys talked, but on day two, I did not know that. And I'll tell you, that that just shows you because, by the way, you know, I was trying to be respectful enough to Gary where I would call and I'd be like, Hey man, how was that? Everything good. You comfortable with it? And he just bold faced lied to me telling me everything's great. Yeah. Everything's really good. You know, no, no notes, no notes. Everything's great. And there he is working the back channels. So, I mean, I think that, that that reveals a lot about a person. Yeah. You he know, could have just said, Hey, listen, man, we're going to make the best of this. I really don't want to be in it. You and I probably are not the best fit. And you would have said, Hey, I agree. But we're professional. We got to show up in a room and do the best we can. I don't want to spend all the time on that because as I talk about some of these things, I wanted to set the scene for how it gets to 2013. Because you and I now start to have some conversations. You and I met at the Westin Hotel. And I was having a drink with you. And I'm like, all right, so what's changed now versus the guy that I talked to in 2011? You said, well... Michael Jordan realized he needs Phil Jackson. And I went, you know, shit, I want Michael Jordan on the air. But, you know, Michael Jordan does need Phil Jackson because this isn't just a one-man show. And I can't win without talent. You can't win without good support. And um, eventually it led to something. But while we're going through all that, that's when you went through some of the stuff you went through on 1050 with the whole infamous rant. The sandbox. Yeah, the the sandbox rant. How did that change you? Because obviously we had to wait a little bit and then eventually hired you, I think, four or five months later. But how did that change you just in learning from going through something where you're publicly out there and everybody's got an opinion on stuff you say? Did it make you at all hesitant? 
at some point, every single broadcaster who's really doing a broadcast where they're saying something, not trying to just play it down the middle of the fairway, but really say something, you are going to hold the Internet's shit stick for, <laughs> you know, a while. And and I got handed that end of the stick and I deserved it. You know, I mean, like, what I learned is that if you have a specific don't talk generally, talk specifically. Don't paint with a broad brush if you're going to go some real extreme criticism. If you have a bone to pick with someone, pick it with them. Don't leave it into just the word gender. You know what I mean? So yeah. like I did learn that and I learned that just think a little bit more before you say something. And what I think happened was I got to that point at KMBR 1050 where I was just I, I'm in I'm in full I don't give a shit mode. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like uh, maybe that's I think every single element of, you know, it's like what do, what do sports talk hosts and comedians have in common? There's an, a little element of self-destruction that comes with all of us. Right. You know, yep. there is there is that ability to sink yourself with the wrong bit, the wrong saying, the wrong something and. That, I think, brought me to the, my, I could use a little coaching. Because basically, look, I, I appreciate Lee Hammer because Lee Hammer was the PD who brought me to the Bay Area originally. Outside of hiring me and, hey, how are you, is in the hallway, Lee didn't teach me anything about radio. He didn't. I, I, I never, I mean this, Jason, I'm not saying this to butter you up in any way, shape, or form. I had never talked or had a program director who tried to make me better and help me hone my craft until I met you and your reputation. Uh, th by the way, you want to talk about the reputations we hear? You had this reputation oh, yeah. of being this micromanaging, yep. no, you know, like working for Jason Barrett, like good luck with that. That guy's going to be up your ass about every comma <laughs> and ellipse and dot, 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 dot. And you weren't like that at all. What you were was helpful. What you did was help me understand the radio mechanics of uh, you made me a better broadcaster by just the conversations we had about the craft of broadcasting. That's um, right there, the key. And, and I tell this to people because I went through this in St. Louis when I first was uh, talking to Bernie Miklas about coming to work for us. He had all the same stuff. And I said, listen, I'm not everyone's cup of tea. If you really want to be a broadcaster and kick ass on the air, we'll have a blast working together. If this is a secondary job, if you just want to do it for a check, don't really care about it, I'm probably not the guy you're going to want to work with because I care about this through and through, and I'm going to dissect every damn little thing that we could do to get better. And he and I had a great relationship, and he went into it the same way you probably went into it, like, is this going to be okay? Is it going to be smothering? Um, and I just find like I latch on to and gravitate towards people who love the craft. I want to work with people who respect it, care about, hey, what's the strategy to be successful? You can show me data that it, this isn't benefiting the show and something is great. Then let's do it that way. It doesn't mean that the data is always right. Like you and I had that chat and you, uh, you used to tell me, uh, I'm in show business. I do the show. Matt does the business. And I'm like, all right, well, one day you are going to have to pay attention to the business because the, <laughs> the more smart that you are in the business, the better it benefits you to know the business. But you're right. You should focus first on the show. And so I always appreciated that. 
like, you know what I want to get your perspective of, because while we're going through all that and you're coming off the 1050 stuff and we bring you in and I pair you with Gianna Franco. And I remember at the time Gianna is coming to me like, I don't know if this is a good idea at all. And I'm like, Gianna, and, and this is the thing I'll give you credit for. And I, and I believe this. I've always said to people, you don't spend 10 years in a building if you're not a pretty decent person. Usually they'll find a way to get you out of a building if you're just hard to work with. And you were at KMBR pretty much for almost 10 years, you know, between the 2005 and 2013 when we hired you. I'm like, you don't sign three contracts or four deals and stay somewhere that long unless people are like, you know what, this guy's worth investing in. And uh, and I told her just to give it a shot. And now I look at you guys, and even though you don't work together anymore, you built a long friendship out of that. How hesitant, though, were you going into that? I wasn't hesitant because I had heard Gianna. I heard her do updates, and I'm like, well, she sounds great. And and I, you know, I I knew I wasn't the monster some people were painting me out to be. You know, it's just a matter of let's meet, and I bet you we get along. Yep. And that's exactly what happened. I love Gianna. I mean, love her. My my wife and I were just with Gianna and her husband two nights ago at the Warriors game. Uh, we're friends today. Our children are friends. They're going to grow up together. We're going to be friends forever. I, I have two wives, my actual wife and Gianna. <laughs> I love her so much. And she's just she's just a wonderful person. And, you know, lucky for her, she got out of radio and she's on TV now and doing great in the mornings on KPIX. I'm so happy for her. But we we lost a a great presence that was Gianna when she decided to go full time TV. But I'm so happy for her because you want to talk about changing the arc of careers and, and, you know, bank accounts and things like that. I wasn't hesitant at all. I was looking for a fresh start. Uh, at that point, I really, really was. So meeting you and and the guys who were working at the game at the time, like I just I really liked who was working at the game when I got there. And even though not a lot of those people still exist, and I like the guys that I work with now, it's I've 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 been able to get along with shows and I think I've always done a really good job minding my own business and not putting it into other shows and letting other shows breathe and and, you know, are they complimentary? And I think if if shows all sound the same and have the same sort of thought, that's not complimentary. That's groupthink. And that's not very good. You got to stand out and be individuals. Um, and, you know, it's funny, the show that I, I listened to the most before I joined 95.7 The Game was Haberman and Middlecoff, right? And they're still doing a podcast together. Yeah. And I still listen to them sometimes. Oh, I do. Love those yeah, guys. They, yeah. And, and, you know. It was just an opportunity to restart without leaving the market. And at that point, man, I was so appreciative of it. And to finally, you know, make enough money in San Francisco to where going out wasn't like a suffocating act of financial worry. Like that was nice. And I and I just I think I I got to a happier place and I left an angrier place. And and it just it ended up working out. And again, like, you know, you and I instantly spoke shorthand together you know we were both radio lifers and we we knew the ins and outs as much as well i thought i knew the ins and outs and then i i started working with you and i learned more about what happens on your side of the desk and started appreciating that you know that that's a job that needs to be done well too 
for this station to succeed. It's not just me. It doesn't matter what I just do in my day part. If the other day parts aren't right, we all go down. So you made me appreciate the concept of team and the culture that you talked about building. You did. Yeah, I mean, you really did it, man. You you did do that. I did the hard part getting it from 33rd to top three, top four. That That was really hard. But it wasn't me. It was everybody who was part of that. Like, to get to you, we had to have Brandon Tierney and Eric Davis go through the wall. And then we had to have John London, Craig Papa have some success so others could have it. And now you look at it, and my favorite thing, and I, I couldn't wait to break your balls about this. You and I had a chat, and oh, uh, you said, listen, being a KMBR, let, let's be realistic. That's not going to happen. And then I'm looking since I left, and you guys got the Warriors, changed some things, right? Right. And I still remember when that book came out, I go, you know, where the hell's my text from Damon Bruce about the ratings and uh, being in game VR? Because I was told that couldn't happen. What I meant to say <laughs> is it couldn't happen and won't happen without me. <laughs> <laughs> or with the A's and afternoon drive putting eight games a month on, which was definitely, definitely a, a mountain to climb. But look, I mean, that's a. Credit to you guys, the consistency and the job Matt and the Higgins done with you guys at keeping well, it moving forward. And and I got to tell you, so you leave and we go through a couple of PDs before we reach Matt and the Higgins. Let me tell you, man, I, I, I mean this as a compliment and I hope you take it that way. You managed from your heart and your gut the way that old baseball managers did, you know? Uh, you, yeah, I wasn't the analytics guy. (laughs) Exactly. You were more Bruce Bochy, you know, and you just felt this guy was leaking oil. You'd go get him. Yep. And (laughs) you would go by your gut. Nahagian is much more of an analytics guy. He crunches numbers over day parts and segments in ways that even though I try to nod along in meetings and pretend that I understand, like he is still deep into it. I mean, he's Theo Epstein. He is deep in analytics and as we've learned through major league baseball is you need both and and i'm not trying to say that matt is some soulless number cruncher he's a really good guy and he's got great instincts and he buoys those instincts with everything he knows about the numbers and how it's a game and how hitting breaks can be the difference between coming in third place or winning yep you know just hitting a break at the right time staying on your clock and and he is the greatest program director I have mm-hmm. ever worked with. He really, truly is. And I'm very, very lucky. And I feel that, you know, as much as I'd like to tell you that my, you know, my, oh, my talent is the reason why everything's working. It's not. It's not. Nahagian is a huge part of not just the station success story, but my success story. Um, I became better working under two guys. You're one of them and Nahagian's the other. One of the things that I give Matt a lot of credit with you, when I met you, you wanted to be a solo host. You were open to working with someone. We, at the time, we talked about potentially Larry. It didn't work out, Larry Kruger, that is. But I was more than confident going with you as a solo show. Now you've since grown. And I remember at one point you had three hosts, and I'm like, holy shit, how's he going to get enough time on the air with two other voices? (laughs) Just the fact that you have the whoever sold you that, I was like, man, Nahigian's got to be like the the seller whisperer here if he got him to work with two partners. But now you and Ratto have found a really good groove together, and you've had some success together. And he got you to not that you want to work with a partner anywhere else or at any other time, 
But the reality is at 1050, 680, 95.7 early on, you were solo. Do you remember that I told you, and this used to be my mantra, when I grew up, I never wanted to be a broadcaster's. I wanted to be a broadcaster, a singular voice coming through the radio. In my mind, is still the most powerful way to communicate in in media there is. But, you know, if you can find that right pairing, and there is no rhyme or reason in the world why Ray Ratto and I would be the right pairing, Jason. I mean, we are, I even say this on the air, talking about, it shouldn't work. It shouldn't. (laughs) I have no idea what the appeal of the two of us not getting along basically and just disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing with him. He just disagrees with everything I say. And (laughs) I don't, I don't know why it works, but it does. And I've, I've been around the block, I guess, long enough to know you don't, don't ask questions. There was the great, uh, um, there was a documentary about Tom Petty. And once he started writing some hits for Stevie Nicks, like all these people would come to him and be like, Hey, Tom, can you write me a hit? Can you write me a hit? Can you write? He's like, I'm just trying to write a hit song for myself. <laughs> like, I'm not trying to make anybody else here better. Like, I just want to, you know, and, and I've never tried to make Ray better. We just sit down and we talk sports. And for some reason it works. And I don't know why. And I'm not going to ask any questions. How did you write that hit song? I don't know. It just came to me. How do you and Ray have this thing that is like devoid of chemistry, but has chemistry? I don't know. I I don't know, but it just works. And I'm very grateful for it. And God bless him. He is not. (laughs) 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 And, And I think that's why it works. For the first time in my career, I'm not the asshole on the show. Look, man, if people, you know, can find differences in people on the air and their different styles and the guy who's 40 to 65 likes him, the guy who's 18 to 45 likes you, great. You're talking to different people. And if you guys can find some just, you know, first of all, if you're interesting, you're entertaining, opinionated, all those things, and you guys are, um, you know, it's just great to see you guys getting the reward. Like that's the part that outside of the like, like the work your your brand does now with social, I used to like sit there in meetings going, we look like we're in Poughkeepsie, New York, and we're in the backyard of Facebook, Google, Apple, Twitter, YouTube. This is embarrassing. Now I look at it, I go, it's, it's an elite brand in that space. And to see you guys mirror it with what you've put on the air and be able to get people to listen is fantastic. I'm just curious for you, like going forward, you were always goal-driven. Every time that you and I would have conversations, I always knew like you had your eye on doing more and doing more and doing more. And I think some of this, you, you'll probably agree. You have kids, it changes you a little. You're like, you know what? Look, maybe I don't need to like knock someone out today when I'm doing the show. It's not the end of the world. I still have another show tomorrow, right? The bir- so the birth of my children was the death of my professional ego. <laughs> I really mean that. I like, I really, really mean that when you have kids and you just, you know, everything becomes about them providing for them. And, you know, I mean, like, I, I, I hope I'm not boring and safe now. If you're about to ask me, what do you want to do next, Damon? My answer is stay right where I am for as many years as humanly possible. I would love to be the guy who has a 30th year anniversary show on 95.7 The Game. Maybe a man with more ambition would be looking to pivot to another space. And I'm young enough to probably be thinking like that, but I'm also old enough 
to have a romance with radio that I don't know if a lot of people in radio have that romance. You know, they're using it as a means to get somewhere else. I never wanted to be more than in like an afternoon drive morning show host. I, I really didn't. Now, if an opportunity arised and presented itself to me, of course, I'd weigh the, the pros and cons of all that. But I'm not seeking it. I'm I'm not. I'm becoming completely entrenched in this. I have so much market equity. It'd be really hard to walk away from yeah. that. Yeah. You know, it'd be really hard to walk away from it's that. It's not even like if, you're not, you're in a top four market. I mean, and, and yeah, and that's the thing. And, and, and I look, I, I love New York and I, I love Chicago and maybe just, maybe, just, maybe, just maybe, but probably not, <laughs> you know, but right. probably not, but probably not because I'm happy. The fact that I met the one girl in San Francisco who's actually from San Francisco, like my wife is a total unicorn, man. You know, all the people here usually are transient. She is from San Francisco. She grew up here. So we we want to be here. You know, we're very fortunate. She works at Salesforce. The two of us together have been able to carve out a nice little life for ourselves. And so we're we're both very appreciative and happy and content in where we are and and now it's just a question of how do you hold on to it? How do you keep going? And then how do you how do you reinvent yourself so you stay fresh and give yourself, you know, a, a reason to keep going and keep going? And that's the stuff that I talk about with my producers. You know, how can we reinvent this show or this segment or this moment? How can we how can we, without changing a thing, do something new? And that's the questions that, you know, I bring up with with the staff that works on the show, probably more than any other question. How do we keep something from not getting stale because key to us having success over KNBR was the amount of just going through the motions that they really, and look, success makes you fat and happy, right? What is it? Yep. You know, Marvin Hagler who says it's tough to get out of bed and do your road work when you're sleeping in 10,000 count sheets. You know what I mean? And I think that <laughs> I, I think that they rested on laurels and that's when we were pouncing and that's, why there's you know there's officially you know a game being played now it's not just one side winning and the other side trying it's a market that always deserved to have two really great stations and even back when we were competitive as hell and trying to make a statement always had great respect for the brand that KMBR is you know fortunately they weren't measuring in Canada or Mexico where we would have been out of the format because that damn signal was so freaking big but yeah that being said, I always thought, you know what, content, I feel pretty good. And I'm enough of a radio, like, to me, call letters can get romantic, right? Yeah, yeah. KMOX, KFAN, and KNBR. I mean, those are monster letters in yeah. my mind and always will be in some way. And I always thought, you know, 95-7, the game. It doesn't even sound like it's going to last <laughs> long. But here we are. Here we You know, I, I honestly... Jason, we pre-record the top of the hour because I screw up the station's call letter. What is it? KMGZBZ? I don't <laughs> even know. You still can't get I don't even right. know what our actual call letters are. I swear to God. So I'll always miss the sexy title. 
but we got the better station. And I don't think it. I know it. And this city now knows it, too. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett Podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at SportsRadioPD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.